Shanti. And it's Antoinette. And you are listening to Around, Around the, the Way, Way Curls. We are two Philly bred best friends who strive to produce content that is authentic, unapologetic, and exalting of the magic we see in ourselves and in you. Join us as we oscillate between love and light and money and dicks because, because duality, duality is a thing. Yizzo! So we are here. Uh, together, together forever. Together Me and Shanti hanging out in Illadel, our home. Um, Shanti, how are you? I'm feeling fabulous, fabulous, as my godmama say. Are you? Because yes. I'm concerned about your cat. Why are you gonna bring that up? <laughs> <laughs> Shanti has a sick cat, and we're really concerned. But she is doing everything in her power to take care of him. My cat has a urinary block. First of all, first of all, let's... We ain't even introduce your ass to you black. Well, let's, in, let's introduce this beautiful wait. soul. Well, I mean, we can go back. We can okay, catch wait. up, but people can know who the hell's laughing in the background. <laughs> we have a special guest this lovely afternoon. Um, he go, We all go way back. Yeah. High school. We all went to high school together, and he continues to be a wonderful presence. Kappa. Shout out to Kappa. In my mm-hmm. life. Um, Hakeem Pitts from North Philly. Yeah. Um, Hakeem is a coach, a cultural worker, a spiritualist who helps people and communities dream their way to freedom, liberation, and live their motherfucking best lives. Fucking talk that shit. That's it. (laughs) Yo. You know, light work. Slight work. (laughs) Yo, when I saw, when I met Hakeem, and it would have been 10th grade for me because you were a year younger. Hakeem was not a spiritual worker just yet. No. <laughs> Hakeem, I remember in high school, I remember Hakeem frequently screaming and running around the hallways with a He was definitely the life of, of the party. I was very scrappy and like ready to... So I was scary. angry too. Really? You were angry? You were always I had never... such a smile on your face. Yeah, I was trying to cover that shit up, I think. Oh my God. You know, I did have a lot of joy. I was, but I was, like I remember people in my class, I was trying to like fight my friend Lorena's dad when I was a freshman. <laughs> Why? I don't know. North Philly, maybe you have something to prove. I don't know. I was going to Kappa. It was weird. <laughs> so in all that, I was also like, yeah. I don't know. That is so interesting. But it's crazy because you're and I, you're my, I didn't really, you know, I didn't hang out with a lot of people in high school. I do remember <laughs> seeing you running around screaming and hugging. I remember lots yeah. of hugs. Like high school. We were vocal majors. Yeah. So we were like. We were super in tune with each other. Yeah. We were definitely, I think vocal majors vocal were a bit standoff, standoffish. Yeah. We definitely were clicky. Yes, you um, were. Vocal majors and drama majors were clicky. like, yeah, they, they were the hugging us ass. Yeah, because I also look at y'all like, what? Yeah, yeah. I just felt like y'all were weird. The artists? Yeah. They we were, were super fucking, fucking weird. No, we weren't. We are, what is <laughs> the new cool now? We were fucking weird. We were the, what is cool now? Really? Yeah, you, like, it was like, do I come up close to them? Like. Yeah, they all seem like they might kill you. Mm-hmm. And we might. <laughs> <laughs> Strange. But um, Hakeem and I, since high school, we our lives has, have seemed yeah. to always That's cross paths and get, get closer and 
constantly trying to put each other on and constantly having late night conversations about life and screaming and hyping each other up. So I've been following you. We've been following each other, rooting Mm -hmm. each other on the work that you are doing, Mm -hmm. the work that you're about to do. Um, is beautiful, Thank and I just I'm excited to bring you on today to to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And uh, before we do that, do we want to talk about my cat or is that? <laughs> no, is I think we need updates. Go ahead, update the people. So, my best friend Amanda. Oh, that's your best friend. <laughs> one you of my best rephrase friend, that. One of my best friends, Amanda. <laughs> tried it. <laughs> fucking tried it. Go ahead. <laughs> One of my best friends, Amanda, had this really affectionate cat, and I would go over it's to her baby. house, it's and he, the cat will hug you and cry and jump on your lap, just a loving being. And so she wanted to give the cat away, and JoJo has been manifesting a pet. So I was like, okay, this works. JoJo wants a pet. We're going to get the cat. Amanda gives us the cat on Monday. I'm sitting in a hospital with a limp, dying cat <laughs> the following Monday, a week later. funny. Like, Why? <laughs> Apparently, yeah, he has a urinary blockage, which stops the cat from being able to urinate. There's a buildup of toxins. This cat in particular is like, yo, something's not right with me. I think I should die and stops eating and so and can't drink and gags when he has to like do a basic life necessity, like eat and drink. So he's dying. And I, I took him to go get the blockage cleared, which was a grip. But I'm like, I'm, I have faith in this cat. Jojo's first cat. At first, she died. was gonna put it down. I was gonna put that cat down when they told me the price. She called me, and then I was like, "I didn't say I'm doing this. I'm practicing this new thing of like, when people tell me something and I don't agree with it, I'm just silent, so they can continue <laughs> to think about it. And then they always like come back and they mm. keep talking through it. And then they're like, actually, so she hung up the phone and she called me maybe two minutes later and was like, I can't put this cat down, right? I have to do what I can to keep this being alive if it's in my means. And I was like. Well, you know, I think that you're on the right path now. That is a white thing to do. <laughs> oh, shit. Good. I'm dead. Good. It's a white thing. But my mom, I don't get that from my mom. Because I was telling people. My, well, you know, your like, mom three- is like straight. It's like, sometimes you like. Put it out of its misery. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. Why are you doing this, Shanti? Two cats have already died under my mom's care. She's like, it's a natural occurrence. Put them in the back. <laughs> I'm like, she buries them and has a ceremony, but she's not paying any money. So I don't know what it is that I'm like, it's my some lineage of white. <laughs> Why is it white? Because white people, when, when I was waiting in the actual <laughs> waiting room, it was a lot of black folks there for their animals, little checkups. This one late lady comes in. She's like, yeah, I'm dropping Missy off. She's going to get her mouth cleaned. And the, the technician's like, great, that'll be uh, $5.50. And so in my mind, I'm like, yeah, $5.50. Like, yeah, that's, that's reasonable. Fucking dog, that's cheap. That's reasonable. And then he's like, oh, well, you know, actually we're going to have to do a little bit of like a, a pull of a tooth. It's going to be $1,200. And we were all like, oh, that wasn't $5.50. Dollars and fifty cents. Oh, all the black, it was all the black yeah. people were like, mm. and I looked down at the cat and I was like, "Yo, we got to go." <laughs> not right. And when they left and it was just black people, they was like, "Yo, they tripping." Like I was like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> <laughs> but um, wow. So this is drama. The cat is 
again had surgery and is still having the same symptoms. Yeah, it's, it's not. Where's the cat right now? We're in the bathroom dying. Don't. <laughs> that, well, I don't speak that over that cat's life. <laughs> exactly. I have a cat, and so I feel really upset about. I don't have any children. My cat is my child, but I will say this. I do not take my cat to the vet because I <laughs> I do not want them to tell me that that cat yeah. that there's anything wrong with that cat because I'm like I you can't deal with that kind of I know myself and I would go bankrupt trying to I would go into debt in order to afford to pay for this cat. for a surgery for a cat so my cat I'm like just keep it consistent okay just do you mm-hmm. don't start acting funny because you're we're not going to the vet. I can't afford that shit. So we need y'all to send light and love to Shanti's cat. Rocky, everybody say a prayer for Rocky. I want y'all to envision Rocky peeing freely into his litter box. Yes. Relieving himself with no pressure or pain. Amen. Amen. <laughs> I'm with that. Amen. Any okay. other updates, Hakeem? Wow. It's spring. Yes. It's beautiful. Because seasonal depression is a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> You feeling freed up? You're I like, was oh. ready to end it last week. I was like, wow. <laughs> I was like, something ain't right. I don't feel wanted. Yeah. Oh my god. I was. I was. I was trying to cry and couldn't, and that's how I knew I was tripping. I was like, I. I went in the bathroom, ran in the shower, and was like, I know I just need a really good cry. <laughs> yeah. Sat in that bitch. Like, got in the was. <laughs> like this ready. might be too much. But turned the shower on and sat down in the shower because I was so sad. Like, couldn't even stand up. Aww. I didn't even run to bed. I needed the shower to cover up, like, to just so I could take a long ass time for the bath to fill up. And I just sat there with this water pouring on my head and could not cry. Just it was hair just like stressed out. Yeah. Mm. So instead, I got my hair braided so maybe I can get a couple more hours of sleep in the morning. Shout out to Hair by Corinne. Thanks. Looks great. Wow, they look great too. Knotless braids. Thank you. Wow. I don't have no updates. Levels. Knotless braids. Knotless, yes. <laughs> huh. No knot in the front. Much healthier. Wow, so that shit don't pull you, right? Don't pull you and you can literally, after she did it, my put my hair up in a bun within a second. There's no pain. It's painless. If y'all have not heard about knotless braids, you need to Google it right now. You need to go find somebody who knows how to do it. Some folks charge a grip. But there are, it's becoming more popular, so there's a lot more people who are learning the skill, and so the prices are starting to drop more. But knotless braids, don't go back to Yeah, knots. that's going to liberate a lot of people's edges. Yes. People's edges people. are, like, compromised <laughs> because of braids. Absolutely. And I'd be like, wow. So, all right, let's get into it. Let's get let's into it. Go. Take us, Shanti, on the journey. So, as of late, Hakeem, you have most recently... We've always talked about your writing, mm-hmm. and um, you've recently started writing, mm-hmm. and you have a lot of beautiful articles on Medium. You yeah. can share the link. I love people, that. How yeah. people can do it. I Oh, my God. Really? Mm-hmm. I have the app and everything. No, Medium is the shit. I try to tell people. So when I started this, people really didn't know what I was talking about. I was like, get on Medium, because there's like a lot of just like cool. And they're like short. They're easy yeah. to read. Yeah. But they're like impactful. So I'm out there, you know. Yeah. And, and so the first one was kind of about your breakdown and build up, kind of like this renewal and rebirth that you've been going through. Um, it's a long, like, why black boys consider suicide <laughs> right, 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 right. successful job isn't enough. Right. So I'm sorry, <laughs> what is the title um, of that, your first one? Well, the whole 
project is called For the Suffering Black Millennial. Okay. When the success and glow up is not enough. All right. And so from that, I have chapters. And I thought I was going to be able to bang them Johns out. But when you're actually talking about pain and trauma, it was like I wrote the verse where I like died and resurrected. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, oh shit, I, this is hard. Mm-hmm. You know, because some of the stuff I have been writing over time, but it was like piecing it together. Um, it's more of a challenge. And so I did like a break and put something like uplifting in there because I was like, you mentally needed it too. Yeah. But you're just sharing different articles yeah, about so your, about your, my journey, yeah. about my life. Um, I've been blessed to be successful or whatever, you know, by society standards and stuff like that. You know, have a job. I've traveled a lot. You know, have a nice salary. You and cute as fuck. Yeah. It's just like, I was doing all the things and you, you think, or or we're told consciously and subconsciously that if you do all these things, then like life will be swell. You'll feel good. You know, you'll be good, you know. Um, that is not true. And it's like, this is not true. <laughs> I was there and I was just like, oh. And it's devastating. It's devastating. Where <laughs> it can be. Yeah, it can be. And it was because I think I was pursuing success thinking that that would make me feel better. And I was doing that to get validation from mm. people in my family, um, namely my mother. Um, because I felt like in my childhood and my adolescence, I felt very invisible in a lot of ways. Um, because I was like the eccentric boy from North Philly. We don't know what he's really doing down there at Kappa, but we go support. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they were very supportive, but like you know, it's like you know they didn't understand. He's like, singing what? Yeah, like <laughs> you know, you know, you singing an Italian like, nigga. Yeah, what is exactly. you even saying? <laughs> my grandma used to be like, I don't know what the fuck they're saying, but like. <laughs> So I always kind of went on this off-beaten path, and there was other ways because of some of the things that I, I went through as a child, which I, I write in there. Like, I, my childhood was very traumatic, and I didn't realize that until, like, two years ago. Mm-hmm. And that's just, like, just let you know, like, how fucked up it was. I didn't even know. It was just so normalized. And some of it I forgot. So when I got to this place in my late 20s... um. I was kind of like falling apart at the seams, but I didn't know how to address it or anything like that. Um, And then I really, really, really fell apart. Mm -hmm. And I had to leave work. Um, I was having panic attacks and all kind of things. I thought I was dying, literally. Because when you have like a really bad panic attack, it's, yeah, it feels like a heart attack. And so I was like, I need to go to the ER. Something's wrong with me, but it was just like, at that point, my body was just like, nigga, you can't do this any longer, you know? Um, that, that was at your current job or previous Yeah, this is my current job um, that I'm at. And I couldn't even see how bad it was. My big sister was also my direct supervisor. She was just like, if you don't leave, like, technically, I was like, you're going to lose your job. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't even know it was, you know, that bad. I was very depressed, dealing with a lot of anxiety. And... Um, I needed to figure out like what got me there and how did I how do I get out, you know? And so What did get you there? If you feel comfortable. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um I for the majority of my life, one I didn't always like myself and or love myself. And I think those things are kind of different. Mm. Um simultaneously I I grew up in North Philly when I was ten years old, my 
cousin who was like a brother to me was shot and killed in front of me. And in that happening, no one like checked on me or asked me if I was okay. So like actually all throughout my adolescent and adulthood, I had like chronic PTSD. Did not know that. Would be paranoid, afraid all the time. Um, I lost a sister and both of my parents and a lot of my family were just like living in the grief of that my entire childhood. Um, I just saw a lot of people just hurt and harmed by like the violence that happens in like in the hood. Um, I had a very absentee father. I had a mother who was emotionally going through whatever that she was going through. And it was just hard. Mm-hmm. And I had normalized it so much and I had saw so much death in my childhood that like it was just normal to me and I didn't know that I was suffering. Yeah, the whole community normalized it. Yeah. It was just like... And so I was carrying all of that and I was suppressing all of that and part of me was just like, if I could just be a good person and do well, everything would be fine. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I did feel, because I was very precocious as a child, I did feel this pressure to be somebody because my mom is the youngest daughter out of eight children and... Um, all of her sisters and, and brother, my uh, uncle, kind of ascended to like middle class, upper middle class life. And she had not. And she had three kids, very, very young, and was willing, running around with a drug dealer, you know, oh, wow. my dad. And so um, I don't think she's even present to that, but that created this pressure for her to kind of show up and match to where her sisters were. And so me doing well in school and excelling and I always just was doing great things, I think, was a source of pride for her. Absolutely. Because she was doing what she could, but it's hard when you have children and you're doing a lot. And so I felt that pressure and I wanted to be successful mm-hmm. to get out of some of the circumstances and um, feelings that I was feeling. So even in high school... Um, I think what I've learned from my family is to be like a very high functioning, unwell person. Yeah. Wow. So like I had a lot of joy, but underneath that, and I kept myself very, very busy, I was suffering. So I had PTSD in high school. I was dealing with anxiety in high school. You know, um, I also did not even have language or a way to even come to terms with my sexuality. And so all of that was like happening beneath the surface while I'm like, singing and dancing and doing all the things which I enjoyed. Um, and I stayed at school a lot because I didn't want to be home mm-hmm. because home was like hard for me. Mm-hmm. Oh. And, so, and, and so even naming all these things, it's hard too because I have to honor what my lived experience was. And I know for like my mom, she didn't see it as that. Right. And other people didn't see it as that. But um, I think that lack of acknowledgement actually led me to that place because it's like everything looks like it's good but like when you get to a certain point you're carrying all this shit you know beneath the surface there's this book out that talks about trauma it's called the body keeps score and it was just like my body internally was keeping score of all the trauma and all the things that had happened in my life Mm -hmm. whether if I was like presently conscious to it or not acknowledging it or not if you were dealing with it yeah and so I guess it got to a point where I was not able to no longer maintain. And the more I was growing in my career, it was more being asked of me 
to show up, and I just did not have the capacity, and so I just kind of like imploded and fell apart, which was embarrassing and shameful, but it was the best thing that could have ever happened to me. So, and I was just like, I gotta figure out what the fuck is going on. Well, how it, long ago? I'm so sorry. How long ago was that? I left. That was in 2017, the fall of 2017. So I went on FMLA. So I left work unpaid for what, three months. FMLA always. I don't know what the A is, but it always makes me think of fuck my life. But I know that's not right. It's terrible. No, but I really fuck don't. My life. That's why I was like, fuck my life. I don't know what FMLA stands for, but in Family my mind, medical leave. Oh, child, I right? have never yeah. had a yes, professional thank you. career. Thank you. Thank you. Fucking thank you. her, yo. Like, fuck my life, leave. <laughs> Wait a minute. He just was so eloquent. Right, and she said. What that mean? Duality is a motherfucking life. thing. God damn I've it. never had a professional. I have trying to I glow up. been a uh, professional career. So I'm just telling you, whenever you t- every time you say that in my mind, I'm like, I don't know what that means, but why wouldn't you ask? Or maybe he did tell me before. I just knew that it was some type of leave that was acceptable and it was a cause of <laughs> emergency of some sort. So I was like, it makes sense. Anyway, what I wanted. This is leading to the meat and potatoes of the discussion yeah. with you, which is about vulnerability, mm-hmm. especially from men mm-hmm. and how toxic masculinity can yeah. be addressed or how toxic masculinity um, can yeah, be addressed and hopefully through men be learning to be more vulnerable in the mm. places in which they learned to shut down, to ignore, to normalize um, suppression and not being able to express themselves, all these things, like how, how, how we can work on this. So, what, what is toxic masculinity? What is your definition? Um, I think there were, it's interesting. There's been lots of um, definitions I think it's like when people internalize um, patriarchy, like what comes out of that is this toxicity that impacts yourself and people in your life, like emotionally, mentally, spiritually, because it doesn't actually serve your highest good. But like these are these um, rules and ways of being and understanding that are placed on people who are actually gendered as boy or man, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that is very much steeped in white supremacy. So these, these ideals about what this you know, should look like and mean that people embody, you know what I mean? And it's actually predicated on domination, um, an inequitable distribution of power, um, and it's deeply, deeply um, selfish, mm. you know? Yes. And I think one of the biggest problems, though is particularly for men, masculine, of center folk, whoever, whatever, males, the hard part to reckon with is like, me naming this is like, it's actually not personal. It's actually not about you. It's about a larger system that we have been conditioned in, whether we are present to it or not, that we actually like, that we benefit from, and that we perpetuate, mm-hmm. you know? And so, and that is a societal thing that has happened, and you are just inside of that. You know what I mean? And so, when, so you know, when women or folks say that men are trash, it's like, it's true. You're being trashy. You know what I mean? And that's like a, a, a structural critique. It's just like, the whole shit is fucked up. And it's just like, 
But you as an individual, you know, you're implicated in that just by existing inside of this fucked up, you know, society. And that doesn't mean that you have to stay there. And that doesn't mean you don't have dignity. That doesn't mean you don't have worth. But it actually is your responsibility because that same structure has given you a level of power, privilege, and access Mm. that is used in abusive ways that hurt primarily like women and femmes. And like, and a one indicator that is using is that you can, that you can call that out as women. And it's like, no, that's not happening. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's like, no, I'm not. And so just because we cannot see it doesn't mean that we're not implicated and we're not complicit in it. I think that's a mm-hmm. hard thing because even when we think about race relations, it's always been centered around like the black male and that, He's been hurt more than anyone else. You know what I mean? Um, and that, like, we need to rally around him and all those things. You know, even on the plantation, it's just like, oh, this man has been um, victimized in all these ways. Yes. And there are other people who have been victimized, too. So it's not like one or the other. It's like, how do we hold all of that intention? That, like, I actually am a victim. I am oppressed. I have been harmed deeply. And the way I've been harmed has also made it possible for me to harm others. Mm. And it's holding that. And so for me, it was just like, wow. And looking in myself, it was just like, a lot of this stuff, I actually, it's not my fault. It's like conditioning. It's all those things. But I am actually responsible for healing from it and making sure that I don't further perpetuate and harm others. And that's what's a problem. We don't want to be like, I'm guilty too. I'm fucked up too. Like, and it's showing up in ways that, like, I can see and that I can't see, you know. And so um, I think what I had to learn was that it's not just from my positionality or my vantage point of how I'm seeing and understanding the world based upon the body that I live in. And that body that I live in, I've been, like, imbued with a lot of power through patriarchy. Like, there's things that I, I'm not walking down the street and being harassed. I'm not dealing with all of that, right? And so I can't actually... When I think about what we need as a people, can't base it on my perspective. Because my perspective actually is limited. And my perspective keeps me very safe. You know what I mean? And so I think... In um, certain ways. In certain ways, right? Um, in certain spaces. So it's, it's much more complex. And I think what's hard for a lot of people to engage in the conversation is it's hard for oppressed people to reckon with that I actually am an oppressor too. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's both and. It's like, we all fucked up. Like, we got cell phones. So who knows what they're doing over on the continent to get that fuck, you know what I mean? Right. Like, I'm, you know, I, I'm a part of that. You know what right. I mean? That's just a part of... We all of, are a part of somebody. Yeah, and somewhat. You know what I mean? Like, um, I don't know what, you know, trans people's... I think they can tell me, but I never know what that experience is like. You know what right. I mean? Um, but because they have an experience that I don't, I need to be listening and I go, what's their perspective? You know what I mean? They got shit that they're throwing on. So it's levels and layers to this shit. And I think it's the internal work of like, like what's going on inside? Like, where have I harmed people? And how have I been harming myself? How have I been harming myself? I think it's so beautiful yeah. because within toxic masculinity is, or just masculinity mm-hmm. in itself if you identify as masculine, mm-hmm. you're strong. Yeah. You got to be strong for other people. You got to take care of other people. I can't express myself because I got to take care of, you know, 
women or my mm-hmm. kids or if they're even fucking doing that. What? <laughs> oh, uh, uh, oh. But so it, it also, it's almost, it's self-destructive. Mm-hmm. And I really, I really want to talk about that, how it's so hard in a lot of my relationships with men, mm. even with, with my father, it's so hard for them to express how they have been hurt. And, and then connect that to how they may be hurting other people. Mm. And so if you're not able to acknowledge your own pain, just like you said, how the fuck will you ever be able to be like, you're damn sure going to be like, no, nah, that ain't happening. Mm. I'm not doing that. My intentions are good. I'm, you know what I mean? So I think, it's really, I think it's really interesting. I think a lot about my father. Mm-hmm. My father has been my closest male relationship mm-hmm. by far. Um and he's someone that grew up with a father who I would say was abusive. Mm. My father loves his father. Mm-hmm. I never met my grandfather, but um from the stories that I'm told about him, he was a very stern man, a very proud man, mm-hmm. and my father was the only boy. Mm-hmm. And 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 he was the middle child. My father was made to do things like at 6 he would have to lock up the house, but my my grandfather would get home around eleven, eleven thirty. So my dad would be in bed and have to get up to make sure he locks the house because my grandfather was always training him to be the man. Mm. Um, and definitely would get whoop hit a lot. My grandmother talks about oftentimes having to tell him like, if you hit my son one more time the way you're hitting him, he was like he couldn't do anything without getting hit, without getting beat. And a big part of it was. From my dad's perspective is he's like, I understood that he was trying to prepare me for this world. And that a lot of the teaching was based out of fear of like, mm-hmm. I'm going to do it to you before they do it to you. Because it's at least you, you're going to get it. You know, at least if you get it from me, you get these hard lessons, you won't end up dead or in jail. Or, and so it was all based off of fear. And then it was based off of his own teachings. He was a man in the... Um, I think he was in the Air Force, mm-hmm. you know, military man, and just someone who possess absolutely possessed toxic masculinity because that's what he was taught and taught after that. But I say all that to say, like, my dad is someone who has done so much work on himself. Mm-hmm. My dad used to call himself um, Superman, um, and we would we would refer to him as that because he was this six foot bodybuilder, huge man that. When he came along around, everybody knew like, oh, your dad's here, your dad's here. And everybody respected him. And he just commanded a room with his presence as soon as he walked in. Um, but he never cried. He never showed sadness. He took everything on the chin until my parents' divorce. And he cried. And I remember when I saw him cry, I didn't know what to I didn't know what to do or how to feel and I was so for the first time scared like I have never I've occupied spaces that were probably extremely unsafe at times um but never fear because I knew every my dad's name rang out Mm -hmm. and I was like Mm -hmm. he also had a, a, a past of being in the streets and so his name rang out and I knew I was good I was protected but for the first time I felt very vulnerable when I saw him vulnerable and I had to rectify that of like, I helped put that on him 
And I needed him to be that for me and be my protector and be mm-hmm. these things. And I'll never forget him crying to me and saying, I can't do this anymore. I have to take this cape off. Mm. And he kept saying, this burden is mm. too much for me to bear. I can't do it. And so now we're in a situation where like, I know my dad's got my back, but I also know that he's very human and that he's been hurt and that he needs, and he's done so much therapy and so much work and just being able to, to have it speak his pain. Mm -hmm. And he, the, the way that he has kind of come out of that toxic masculinity and he still possesses some of it where he still right. uses like sissy and this right. like that's still like some old black male shit <laughs> right, right, right. but like in terms of him being in touch with like his emotions and in touch with his hurt and his pain and his needs he's able to do that and he's so much a better man for it um but i can see how limited he was limited in, yeah in his existence before before he was able to do that, mm-hmm. you know, limited in his relationship with my mother, limited even in our relationship, mm. you know, and, and some of the things that maybe he could have gone into more detail with me about to prepare me in, for certain situations that it was just a stern like yes or no, you know, where maybe if you would have talked me through that, I wouldn't have made the same, you know, like, mm-hmm. so it, it's just, it's interesting. And I know that I possess ideas of toxic masculinity where I can romanticize some Mm. of them. I have um, ideas in my head of what my ideal male is. And a big part of that is what I grew up around. And it was this man that, like my biggest thing is I have to feel safe. I have to feel safe with you and from you. Like that's my main thing. Like if I can walk down the street and feel safe with you, that's like a huge check off my list. And if I don't feel that way, I, I don't, I know that there are times that I'm like, he ain't enough man, mm. which is not right. It's not good. It's not, a, that's, you know, that's, but I, I possess it. I definitely, I see that in myself and I have to kill that spirit within me. Um, but, I think it's interesting you say that, because speaking of your dad, I was thinking, I've been, just been in my head, this quote by Zora Neale Hurston. And she says, she says, when you know, when you're silent about your pain, they will kill you off and say that you enjoyed it. Oh, yes. And um, there is a way, I think, men, black men in particular, have emotionally, are are not alive. Mm -hmm. Right? And that's why I think there's a way to, because you're so not present that there's like they revel in that too you know right. it's like and and so that and it's that's a badge of honor yeah, to not like, feel yeah like, i don't do nothing to me yeah and so it's just like yeah um and that's why i think i'm a, i'm definitely a nerd but that's why i think history is so important which is why they don't want us to know our history but it's just like where does this because i'm always saying like i look at what and i say where does this come okay. from you know and so when you think about like all of this is deeply tied to like colonialism and imperialism because when you go back, particularly for people of African descent to the continent, actually, um, there are so many express expressions of being, right? But what we do is we put because even the the gender binary and the gendering that we have that is placed on us, and we even understand that with the English language, we place that onto bodies and to people, mm-hmm. right? And so I think over time the colonialism and all that. 
there was these very particular structures and ways of being an embodiment for a male, for a man. This is who you are. But you have to ask, where did that come from? And so even men, enslaved Africans, who they desired and aspired to be was actually a slave master. Right. That's who they desired to be. And you know that motherfucker was, you know. Oh, if we think of who white men were in that time, you know, so the the imagination also, our imagination and understanding of who we are as a people, who we can be in these bodies was also very much limited and or taken away. And then there was no memory or a lot of that second of who we actually can be. And so... There's definitely no collective memory. Yeah, there's no collective memory. And so I think what the hard part for a lot of men is that you have to actually uh, imagine an otherwise way of being. Right. And experience yourself newly. That, yeah, I, I found that to be exciting. Not you know what hard, I mean? Though. And it's scary because it brings anxiety, though. Mm, it's because so new. It's so unknown. Yeah, and it's just like, why ain't nothing wrong with me, though? When, well, I, when I think <laughs> about partnerships, though, because yeah. that's, that's the closest or the easiest way to, you can really see your reflection, you mm-hmm. can see your conditioning. I imagine it being a great space to make those new choices mm-hmm. and figure out who you really want to be, how you function in relationship. At least in my experience now, that's kind of what's happening. And I've been so disappointed by so many men yeah. because they did not fit this Mold of provider, protector, mm-hmm. um, grounded, stable. And like those are things that I value and they're important, but I wish I had been with partners that could could articulate why they couldn't meet those those um, qualities or, or what they were struggling with. So then it could be more dynamic and healing could happen and conversations could happen, but... Otherwise, you know, you have a suppressed, repressed being that is failing because of he is not meeting those standards. And then for me as the partner, I was just disappointed and angry as fuck. And all of the responsibility, not only the emotional responsibility, but now just the finance, like survival responsibility was was put on me. So I think it's important that we talk about and it becomes a norm that men are able to be more dynamic people because it's one thing to like, and I was talking about this with my partner, like the shaming and the calling out culture of male uh, toxic masculinity is like, yeah, this is all true, but are we giving men space to really explore? Right, right. Or are we just like, you're fucked up, stop catcalling. Just condemning them. What's, you right. put yeah. their backs against the wall rather than giving space to really explore and create this new, the, the new possibilities that, that can happen. You know what I, I know? And as a person who's in therapy constantly, I'll be there on Monday. Shout out to my therapist, Dr. Renee. Shout out to Dr. Renee. Therapy is the new tall, honey. You know that, right? I'm serious. I know. (laughs) If you are in therapy, you about six foot five with a huge dick. In my eyes, I'm like, oh, yes. Come over. Yeah. And (laughs) she has helped me tremendously. And I think the problem, what you stated, Shanti, around that is because you have a lot of grown ass niggas with beautiful beards, beautiful bodies, who are intelligent in all those ways, and they're boys. Yeah. 
That are, was my last uh, partner. They are boys. The so, most beautiful man. Well, they didn't tap into their inner child. And you know, they're boys. But if you think about, again, the socialism and the raising, I remember... Even, boys are not even allowed to be boys. No. And so it's like immediately all these ideals about manhood, which are, are flawed and fucked up, are like places so where you got to do all these things. You have to do all these right. all this stuff. And so emotionally, they are stunted. Yes, and yes. Stunted in tremendous, tremendous ways. And I remember my therapist, she was like, you know, this is what I'm actually doing for you. I'm getting you stable enough in this present moment so that you can actually go back and take care of the little boy inside of you. This is like, this is why I don't have anger towards certain people that I've dated. Like I've, I have someone, no, I have someone (laughs) in my life who's his, his childhood. And I, he only gave me bits and pieces of it, but part of his childhood was getting his mother out of alleys because she was unfortunately addicted to crack and watching her Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Perform certain acts in order to get that crack. And him being a child, his brother going away because he accidentally was playing with the gun and killed somebody. Killed somebody of, of a gang. And then their their names were on a chopping block. Like growing up in this kind of environment mm-hmm. here in Philly. It's mm-hmm. like no wonder he has mm-hmm. issues. No mm-hmm. wonder he can't connect. No wonder when he feels disappointed he lashes out. He becomes angry. And it's like so many, it's like you talking about, I can't imagine witnessing a family member mm-hmm. be shot and killed in front of me and then be just, con- just, just expect I, yeah, go continue on. to go on. Then you got to go to school. <laughs> then you got to right. go to school. Then you, you got to like look good while you're going to school and be, and be up and deal with all the stresses of like peer prep. Like I can't imagine. Right. I can't imagine. Yeah. Being a human alone is enough outside of just that trauma. Ugh. And so many times... At the end of adulthood, men, quote unquote, or adults, boys and boys and you know, in adult bodies are are, are constantly being triggered, mm, and they yes. don't even know they're being triggered, mm, and yes. there is no there is no access to language to communicate around that. And I think, no, I know the responsibility. I think because women do so much emotional work and labor already. Because you have to. Men are not required to do that. And I actually think, and I know, it's the responsibility of males and men to do this work with men. Mm. Oh that is God. deeply their responsibility. You know, I have mm. a boy child, Anthony, whom I love dearly. 
and he is not, about to be 19 on Friday, and he knows I am on his ass, you know what I mean? And I'm like, he goes, NYU, he's on a full scholarship, he is wonderful, and you're a fuckboy! You know what I mean? I told him this. <laughs> and I said, and there's nothing that you can do that can make me not love you. But it's my responsibility. And actually, all my friends know, like, I actually, what he needs from me the most is treating him like a boy. And we do that, you know, at my crib when we're together. Literally, he becomes like a little boy because he never received that. Oh, that makes me You know beautiful. what I mean? You know, we're chilling. Like, he wants to chill in the bed and, like, watch Tupac. Like, he's like a little puppy. You know what I mean? That makes me And he did not get that. Right? And so he's grown. But there's so much of him emotionally. There are many parts of him that are like eleven or seven. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They need and to be nurtured and coddled and reinforced yeah. and, and all that. And, and soothed, soothed. So, and, it's a, and it's a lot of work. I think about like I think about my godson, and I think about there were times when his father wasn't able to be there, and I've I've seen his father give him speeches about being strong for mommy and being the man of the house. And he's nine now. And I'm just like, I hear that speech and I understand what that speech means, but he's not the man of the house. He's a baby and he needs to be one. And I worry so much about him and about just taking some of those things. It's every little boy, mm-hmm. every little boy not having the opportunity to just be sad. a kid. Angry. right? Or sad. more than that, because we had to have the conversation with the mother because you know things had changed in the relationship there were there were things happening in his life that were disruptive mm-hmm. and emotionally difficult for everybody to manage and how it was managed initially was this yeah. is happening yeah this is happening we're sorry it's happening everything's going to be okay we That's love it. you. We Mommy, love you. Daddy, love you. And then checked out. Like then life goes on as normal. You gotta get up and go to school. It. Make sure you clean your clothes. Put your clothes on. Versus every day checking in with that How little boy. How are you boy. feeling around this? How are you feeling? What's going what are you on? Thinking? Are you sad? Are okay. you sad? Let's cry Let's, it out. Mommy yeah. said too. I don't know what the fuck <laughs> is gonna happen. But but like yeah, we're here. I'm here, and I'm here with you. And like show right. up and let it out. Talk mm-hmm. about it so that you so that the language of comfort, the language of sadness, the language of disappointment, the language of anger is like practiced and yeah. it's healthy because we're human, that's always gonna be there. But that's that's incredible, Hakeem. Yeah. It, it is interesting. So uh, yeah. And I'll share this and he'll be okay with this because we talk about this all the time and it's something that we're committed to doing when Anthony was here. Last month, we had dinner. I asked him how he's doing. And the thing is, he can't lie to me. He doesn't know how to lie to me. And then if he is lying to me, I know what he's lying. So I asked him how he's doing. He's like, I'm doing all right. And I'm like, okay, he's not doing okay. I know this. And he starts talking, and he just starts breaking down crying. Because it's a lot of pressure to go to a prominent film school. He's also has a really great internship. He's on a full ride. All the professors knows who he is. So, you know what it I mean? It sounds all great. It's all good. But he's also dealing with like, he's dealing with like racism every single day. Yeah. You know, he's a little hood boy. From you know North what I mean? fucking Philly. From North Philly. It's, all, it's a lot of pressure. And he was crying. It's like, I literally had came over to the other side of the table so he can cry on me. We're in a restaurant. And I said, Papi, how does this feel? He was like, I feel really, really 
weak and vulnerable. And I said, actually, this is your power right here. Mm-hmm. This is that ability. Like this yeah. right here, you okay. being able to talk about this, to name this, and to feel that this is actually your power. All and that being other able, being emotionally intelligent yep. and aware enough to identify what you're experiencing, where the pain is stemming yep. from, or even wanting to identify it is like <sighs> half the battle. Yeah. And for him to be there with you, with another man, have a physical presence, mm-hmm. like that. There's just like you, like women do so much for men. Mm-hmm. Women carry <laughs> quite the burden. Absolutely. But there's if. If there was a man mm-hmm. that could go and hug another man that was crying, mm-hmm. console them, I just think it would, it's just so different. It's just so different to feel that from another, like we were watching Nipsey's brother mm-hmm. again talk about mm-hmm. um, him d- during the funeral service. And obviously I, I said to you, I was like, I just want to hug him. Mm-hmm. I just want to just cold him because he's struggling so much. But the love that those two brothers had and the way they spoke about one another to me was so powerful. It was like, God, I wish every young man could have, could experience that kind of love from another man mm-hmm. in his life. And to have the father that they had, like they were all close. And I think that's why they're able to express themselves in those ways and identify pain and mm-hmm. talk about it because they do it. It's a practice. It's a process, yeah. Yeah. But I, I also want to say, I'm seeing so many fathers. Mm-hmm. I'm hearing about it. I haven't seen it yet, but I'm hearing about <laughs> 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 it. Right. No, my, my partner yeah. has a lot of male friends yeah. that are fathers. Yeah. And so talking about normalizing affection between especially for first gen like what can we name this first generation non-toxic non-toxic <laughs> right <laughs> um men learning era. how but they didn't receive that affection or they didn't have relationships with their fathers and then having sons and being able to be affectionate hug them Ugh. or having them be comfortable receiving affection from their kids yes mm-hmm. Like that's, that's also astonishing a- to me when I see when I when, so you know how sometimes people will post things and be like is this cool they, and it'll be like a black man kissing his son and I'm like and no they'll, they'll, they'll yes! snap out it comes it's always on they Twitter. go crazy it's like people are also I'm like what type what has happened to you but it's happening I know yeah. terrible things it, what has happened to you where I know. you think this it's, level of intimacy is somehow inappropriate baby. I know and but it's it, it's changing. Yeah, it, it is. It is changing, and it's becoming normal. Mm-hmm. And like we went to shout out to Hill House in Brooklyn. Oh yeah, I said this before, but y'all don't hear me. Hill House in Brooklyn is this a beautiful multi-form, multi-use. I don't. That's what I'm saying. Space where they not only have like a tea house where you can go get tea, coffee, all those things, do Smoothie, a workspace yeah, thing, yeah. health food, but they also have space where yoga and workshops are given, downstairs therapy, black owned, and it's mixed, but a lot of black people frequent the space. And we went one day, girl, we went up there. And there was this wooden door closed, and then all of a sudden it opened, and these sea of 
black men walked out looking all like refreshed and i was like what's that about and they was like yeah you know it's a black male healing workshop that just let out amazing it's every sunday 12 30 oh I was like, shanti called me i was next door with jojo <laughs> getting her a toy and shanti called me and was like yo you gotta get over here it's a let out yo this is the this is the new let out your husband's over here man it's a fucking black male healing space antoinette get over here now so work is being done yeah, yeah. And like these conversations and the leadership from mm-hmm. men, men like you, like yourself. And it's interesting. So one person I'm doing this with is a good friend of mine, actually. So Keisha, so we went to high school with her husband, TJ. Shout out to my We worked oh, together. I knew I have known TJ. Yep. I went, we did right, freedom right. school together. So we're actually <laughs> working on in conversation to give things to like literally to do workshops, to do facilitation coaching with, collective is open with any men day for that. Oh my around. God. We want to actually create a curriculum for men around the Me Too movement, sexual assault, and doing all of that. Thankfully, um, I've been blessed to know a lot of people. So Tarana, who started it, is like the homie. And so I'm hoping that we can connect on some things because it needs to come from certain type of folk. And it needs to come from men and males because that's just... It just needs to. That, that just needs to happen. Y'all are always gonna be there. Y'all are always. Y'all are always already like talking, in there doing right. the work. We like fifteen steps ahead. <laughs> we like niggas. Let's like, go. Yeah. What the fuck, y'all? Like, <laughs> like you know. But it, it is, and I think putting those people at the forefront, like TJ and I, we have these kind of conversations. We sit in the car for forty five minutes, and it's funny. He was like, "When you came in my life, I would always be uncomfortable because I, I would ask him genuine, genuinely, how are you doing?'" He would. Mm. My homies don't ask me that. And I'm like, nigga, like, what, what are y'all doing it? Like, you know what I mean? Like, they are, but they say, what's up? Yeah. But like, <laughs> and when I'm asking him, he knows that I'm asking him, like, for real, for real. How's, how's your heart? heart? You know, how's your heart? You know what I mean? Like, how, how are you feeling today? How's your heart? And I ask shit like that. Depression and depression like, affecting you. You know what I mean? So this is going to be open ended questions. You know right. what I mean? We're not. I love it, Hakeem. Because there's no trifling matter. You know no, what I mean? Being to be is... well, it's not a trifling matter. And, oh, my. Put that on a motherfucking shirt, Hakeem. I'll and, buy it tomorrow. And what it does, it actually, when you do your own work, and one of my mantras is that I am my greatest and most important work. And it's like we're chasing everything except for ourselves. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And not our healing. And when you say yes to yourself in a particular kind of way, it actually enlarges your capacity to, to love others, to oh, yeah. do others, to be do other productive. things, to be productive. Yeah. Because you're actually present. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing, too. I think a lot of them are just not present. Mm-hmm. Because they're, like, in la-la land because it's just, like... It's safe there. It's safe there. And it is... I, what I cannot deny is that it is extremely, extremely... This work, particularly, is, like, being black in America. And then when you add on top of that all of the parts of your story, what you've been through... It's a lot to hold because I'm really, I can coach you, but I'm not a therapist. You know, I'm like, go see a therapist. And then that therapist may say, you need to go see a psychiatrist because you might need, I mean, like people are not well and that's okay. You might need to take some mind altering. You might need some ambient and therapy and go to yoga and go to the gym. You know what I mean? Work that shit out. You know what I mean? (laughs) Jesus Christ. You know what I mean? And and that's fine. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's fine. And, um. That's okay. When I be like, I'm not well, I'm not doing good, you know what I mean? I communicate like that. And I think modeling that, too, is super, super important. I be like, yo, I'm fucked up. 
You know what I mean? And that's exactly what you said. Yeah, I'm like, I fucked up right now. What do you mean, like so many times? Yeah. I remember asking you how Hakeem was, and you were like, "I don't know. He said he's not well. I gotta check on him." And I was like, "What?" I I was like, "Is he sick?" That's how we talk to each other. Yeah, right, 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 right. Because if wherever I am, you know, and I think me actually naming, acknowledging it allows it for it not to own me and swallow me up. Yeah, it's just like this is happening here. I'm feeling really fucked up about this. And once I name that, I feel like it helps to kind of take away the huge pressure. Because I don't have to perform. I don't have to try to hide it. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not living with the shame. It's there and I'm saying it. And it allows other people to actually show up for me. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So I can Make get out of that space. Need. make it. You know what I mean? Get there. And so um, naming, being able to just name my shit has been really empowering for me um and it's like i'm doing this and it's like i know a lot but then also i feel like i don't know what the fuck i'm doing sometimes you know and that's okay and too it's continuous and it's there's no end goal you know what i mean like this this shit is going to continue can you talk just a couple more things can you talk about when you took the yeah. the leave what did you do? What were some of the steps that you were like, okay, I did this, I did this, I did this. These are the things that helped me get to where I'm at now. Um, for me, one, writing is very, you have to find what, writing is very cathartic for me because it allows me to tell my story, but it's like, it's hard for me as well because I don't know how to write and not be honest. Mm-hmm. And so I knew that when I, when I knew I had to write, it was like, oh, I got to actually tell the truth. So I would run from writing. And so I started writing a lot. Um, of course, I was in therapy every single week. Every week I was in therapy. And I have, as a coach, I have a lot of practices that I engage in. So I do mirror work, a lot of mirror work. And I extended it. And you so, said mirror work? Yeah, mirror work. So I'm in the mirror and I literally... So it's a couple of things I do. I want, I take lots of photos of myself, right? Whether I'm happy, whether I'm sad, whether I'm drunk, I'm for a night out, whether I'm, you know, we're doing whatever. Because, and I look back at it and I say, what's going on with there? And I look at myself for a very long time. I, I spend a lot of time in the mirror because I need to be present to like where I am and what's going on. And sometimes I can't do it in the moment, but I can go back and say like, wow, I know how my eyes were like that. You know what I mean? And I look at myself. I think for me, I've ran from myself a lot. And mm-hmm. so another thing that I do, it's like an extension of that, I would start, I just started recording myself on my computer, doing menial things around my house, whatever. Fucking narcissist. Um, I'm playing. <laughs> and, and I did it because like, I really did not like myself. Wow. And I had to say, what is it about me that you don't like? What, the, what is it that you mm-hmm. see? Mm-hmm. Talk about that. Yeah. Um, that's one thing. I also kind of booby trapped my life. I have a lot of people in my world who love me dearly um, and who check up on me. You know what I mean? I have friends, and I know that like the majority of my friends are black women, and I know I greatly benefit from that because, thankfully, some, as I'm probably getting wiser, I'm like, just listen, because they're actually like always right. That's just been my experience. You know, Sometimes delivery is not the best, but when it comes to me and my well-being... They've just always been right. And so I've been fortunate to have that. A huge thing, which I cannot stress enough, um, I have a very deep spiritual practice. And 
I have a spiritual community that I'm part of. I always have been connected to the divine. And I think that looks like whatever that looks like for the individual. But for me, it's just like that has been my saving grace, having a spiritual practice. You know, I do a lot of ancestral veneration. And so moving through the world is like, it just helps me. Explain that. So um, in most indigenous um, um, spiritualities, particularly like African spirituality, like honoring ancestors is just really, really important. It's the understanding that when they even pass on or die, they are with us and they are and they've transitioned to another plane, you know, and that they there are means to to communicate to them and that they want to be acknowledged because they want to help us in this life. And for many of us, that's been taken from us, you know what I mean? We're even told that it's it's bad or evil. And so for me, moving through the world, knowing that I have beings who know me and love me working on my behalf and who want me to win allows me to move through the world with a level of ease and a level of comfort because I'm not alone. You know, um, something that Oprah said, I think she may have got it from Maya, was that like, when I go into a space, I come as one, but I I stand as Mm 10,000. And so that gives you a different type of, you know, confidence to move through the world and be like, oh, not only do I I need to heal and I want to heal, but like my people want me to heal. And so they want me to be well. And so... For me, that has been like very, very foundational because I'm very human and all that. I'm going to fuck up. I'm going to not want to do. I'm going to run from the work. But I, I have this belief that um, even in those moments, the purpose that I have, my, you know, my higher self, which is my divine self, desires my utmost and highest good. Mm-hmm. And I lean into that when I be like, you know, and I trust and I try to listen, you know, what is spirit saying and I don't believe that we're actually meant to do this work alone mm-hmm. you know what I mean that you know like alone. and I'm like yeah I'm a huge believer in God but like God is often speaking through you Shanti you know what I mean <laughs> it's like it's speaking through God speaks through and does the healing work through people mm-hmm, yeah. and so I'm just like in a, I like to be in community with people because it holds me accountable you know what I mean people are holding me accountable for what I'm not doing what they know I've been called to do and I think that's something, too, that a lot of men, whether they're honest, they want to hide because mm-hmm. they are ashamed. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. And so my shit be out on Front Street, you know what I mean? And um, I'm fucked up, homie. You yeah. fucked up. But and us, then. We gonna be <laughs> I try to be in the practice of telling on myself, you know, um, because I know how fearful I am. So I, I kind of do that a lot. I'm like, I know my how I am. I would rather cower and hide and live in shame and not tell anybody when I'm like in my deepest, darkest thing. But because of that, you know, I have check-ins with people. You know, we meet up at a certain time. So it's like I can't run from it. So when I'm in a good space, I wow. set up shit. You, are, you have you know what I mean? I set up, oh, set up. yeah, you know, I have therapy set up for the next six months. And it's just yes, like, sure. you know what I mean? Because I know like there are times where I don't want to go. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And she be texting me and things like that. <laughs> And I'm a person, I care about what people think mm-hmm. a lot. And it's funny because my therapist, she was like, okay, that's a thing we have to work on. But, like, how can you use that to your advantage? You know what I mean? Like, I don't like showing up, being a mess. I care about my my reputation to a yeah. degree. And yeah. so with that, I just set up a lot of accountability with people in my life. And that helps. So it's like, I need therapy. I need a spiritual practice. I need a community. 
And the other part is just like, I go towards the pain. I'm like, where does it hurt? Mm. I go there. Because I want to be free more than anything else in my life. And I am free, but I have to get freer. You know, and... Or die trying, child. Yeah, and, that's, and, and I think that's what it is. And then feeling that, like how I feel now, the past two years have been the hardest of my life. Mm-hmm. And I mean, my therapist, she was like, I was sharing really hard things. She's like, this is devastating, Hakeem. And she says, and this is going to liberate you in ways that you've never known before. And I think this emotional work that men need to do that we all are engaged in, it's the scariest because it's actually pushing and inviting us into another way of being. Mm-hmm. And like I said, uh, shout out to a coach who I really admire. Her name is Akuya Sotowa. She always always says like, are you ready to experience yourself newly? And I was like, what the hell does that even mean? And she would say it all the time. But I realized, like, even now, I feel in my body in a way that I have never felt in my life. Oh, uh, yeah. Like, levels to this. And it's like, I was like, oh, and I didn't know until it started coming and, like, yeah. all, a lot of the devastation started yeah. happening. And I was like, what the fuck isn't is going it, on? Isn't it exciting, though? Doesn't oh. it feel good to, to, to have these different experiences mm-hmm. with yourself? Yeah, and I, I did not know. I, I didn't know. But I knew intellectually, but I didn't know what it was like to feel yeah. and to live into it. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think, like, confession is also, also another thing you said, what I do. I am, like, I have tons of affirmations that mm-hmm. I do in the mirror as well. And they are connected to What's all, your favorite affirmation? Um, mm, I am a beautiful person made in the image of Almighty. Mm. Um, and I have a lot. And they're all connected to... Areas where I struggle with, you know, my sexuality is a gift, not a curse, and I embrace it with love and joy. Yes. I deserve to be paid well for my time, talents, energies, and efforts. Yes. Um, opportunity and favor are mine, and I receive them wholeheartedly with joy. Mm-hmm. You know, and I just have all these ones. Um, sadness is not my enemy, and I am not um, afraid of it. You know, I have a lot of them because... I needed like to you use... need to write a book of affirmations that people. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no. It sounds like sounds like you are doing and you are meant to do incredible, incredible work, life yeah. altering work. Hakeem, shout out to you. I know you just shook up a lot of motherfucking people. I know. I'm Be shook, here, niggas. Like, and just like, what you said? <laughs> I'm about to. I'm be editing it like. <laughs> yeah. It's so about to put this shit on my wall. I am a man and I love myself. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but that's wait, what... wait, but I just oh, I fucking hate you, Chelsea. The last thing though, for for people with young boys, mm. okay, mothers, fathers, grandmoms, aunties, whatever. What are five, at least five things? You could do more, whatever. But five things that you would recommend that they do possibly differently than what you experienced as a young child. Mm. Like there was a post um, that I saw that was going around and I really liked it where they were asking, what's one of the things from your childhood that what, what's one of like the toxic kind of parenting rituals from your childhood that you're going to let go once you become a parent. 
And so translating that into this of like, what are those things that you would do differently or that you would recommend folks do? Um, Or not differently. Yeah. One thing that I would suggest that my grandmother told me when I was like maybe five, because I was very precocious, very talkative. um, And she said to me, um, do never bite your tongue for anyone. Mm Mm-hmm. And you know, historically, black people, you know, often families are like children, yeah, not heard. And she was saying that to me intentionally. Now I know because she saw the ways that I felt like I wasn't seen, and she saw that I was really intelligent, and it gave me confidence to like just always speak up. And so I said it to say that oftentimes in parenting, particularly boys, there's a lot of instructing: don't do this, take care of this. I think make space to listen invite them into this like self-inquiry where they can ask questions and be curious with respect of course right but ask all that you want to know ask them open-ended questions about the world about how they feel because in therapy that's what my therapist always working on me with is like how did that feel I'd be like, I don't know. but it's, and, and i do know it's just that no one has ever asked me to actually give presence to that yeah for you to bring acknowledge yeah and so how did that feel when you fell how did that feel when she yelled at you like that so i would say that another thing that i'm really building is like i am intentionally particularly with anthony and the young people i work with at schools especially with boys like i embrace radical softness i'm just soft Mm. i'm just soft in every way and all the ways that you're told not to be oh we want to cry okay we cry. Let's you know, go. I'm I'm really big on like, you know, actually try not to yell because that's just anticipated. You know what I mean? And I'm a person. I'm a, I'm a loud person, but like I speak softly. You know what I mean? I with love, with with care. a lot of love and a lot of care and a lot of tenderness. I you know I see you. I'm so proud of you. So acknowledgement and affirmation. You know, and like you are beautiful. You know, all those kind of things. I think affirmation is deeply, deeply um, important. And I think young people, boys need to see, how are you feeling? You know, someone asked their dad that, I don't feel good today. I'm hurt. They need to see reflections. Yeah, I was crying this morning in the shower because I'm struggling to take care of y'all. I don't know what I'm doing. Am I doing a good job? Am I doing a good job? <laughs> Your mom has a degree and I don't. Mm. You know, um, whatever. I I don't know what I, I just don't know what I'm doing. You know. I wish I would have seen um, that with my mom and my dad. That's so so important um, for young people, and it's giving them a space because I, in our society, what we have done is they're, they're actually human beings. You know what I mean? We've dehumanized them in a way because it's like we think they don't know because they haven't been here long. But it's like no, they come no. with so much intelligence and so much wisdom that we silence through just these ways we've been taught to parent. And a lot of it, it does come out of fear because yeah. we would have been killed. Right. Well, you just want your there was no time okay. for that. And you want them to be okay. So it's like this fierce protection or this oh. idea that they don't, like, just like you said, that they need to be filled up. 
Mm-hmm. No, they're already full. You just have to like, what are they? What what's going on inside of them? Rather than you, you need yeah. to be doing this. Why are you doing it this way? Like even with Jolie getting dressed, I'm like, it does not. <laughs> I'm like JoJo, that does not match. <laughs> But she has such flavor in her own style and her own way of being. And like, I have to come to terms just on the most basic level of her choosing her clothes. What to speak of the many other decisions and likes and and things that are going to happen in her life and giving her space to just be. It's transforming that. It's redistributing, obviously, that power dynamic. Because like, as adults... As, particularly as fathers, you have so much power. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, how can I give that? You know, they already, people already have inherent power, but it's like, oh, in this space, in this home, I have it all. But it's like to say, now you have power. What do you want to do today? Mm-hmm. How, who do you want to be today? How do you want to dress today? And how transformative would it be to see that person with all that power be vulnerable as yeah. well and still powerful? Right. Mm-hmm. To walk in the space and be. Oh, damn. I'm just thinking like, just, oh man, I'm just thinking about so many different times when mm-hmm. I saw my dad punch a wall instead of crying. Mm-hmm. And my dad telling me, women, women get sad and want to talk. Men, when they're hurt, they're angry. Like the only limiting men's expression to just being Or maybe angry. he was saying, not necessarily saying that that mm-hmm. that was that that is what it is, mm-hmm. but that maybe that's how everyone's they they've it? been dealing with it. Yeah, and we're, I think we're challenging folks to express it differently because I would argue that mo- most times in my life when men have been sad, they, they have been angry. angry. Oh yeah, they express it that's through what, anger. Yeah. Anger is like a, it's typically a secondary emotion. Well, I guess my dad was right there. I mean, Shout out to you, I hope he wasn't telling you that that's the fact. I hope he was right. saying that. No, but he was this just. He would always say he must. Kinda. If he's up, if he's upset, he's going to express it through anger. But like, that's not safe. That doesn't make me feel safe. Why no. can't you just say like you're hurt? Why you got to like? Well, because they have to. Because they've been taught that, yeah, so they you gotta, have to. You got to work through that and know that when you when you are with some of some men in whatever relationship you you have with them, just know that. You have to create that kind of safe space too to to allow them to to empower them enough to feel like okay I don't have to get angry I can be mm. quote unquote sad and want to talk which is a lot of work and not everybody's up for it and it's yeah. true I was telling you know my first time I was going I was like there are so many um just sad boys yeah you and see it they have sad you see eyes. it yeah it's just so much sadness. And I think they don't get out of that, and you put things on top of that. It's like, because I think emotions have to be processed, because we as human beings are vessels, and we need to allow that to like, sad. What is this sadness telling me and communicating to me about what has happened to me or what is happening right now in my life? And like, that's work that folks don't do. But so what happens? It just stays there, and it's like lodged in your soul, mm-hmm. and folks are just sad, and often. And men do, regardless of actually, I've learned sexuality, they run to a partner to be filled up, coddle me, make me feel better, take care of me. I don't want to feel this way. You know what I mean? Or I don't even want you in the ways that like I'm showing up. I just want you to make me to feel better better. emotionally, sexually, whatever. I want pleasure because I'm in like, internally, I'm in like an immense amount of pain. Uh They don't have the language for that. 
you know, they pull up on you in a DM just looking righteous. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or, you know. We're not looking righteous. Or not looking righteous. <laughs> like, I'm looking fucking raggedy. Niggas be bold. And that's, that's the fucker you're going Like, you're not even. No, I'm talking you bold as fuck. You bold as fuck. And you're fucked up and bold. That and is bold. a combination for disaster. Yeah, so. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. So I'm committed in my life. Like, I know my life's work is to help people heal in these ways. And in ways that are really, really, really um, accessible and practical. Um, because I was like, oh, this is the work that like propels me in all other areas of life. I, I really Humanity didn't know that. Humanity's going to be better yeah. with this work. Yeah. It's gonna like, it's going to be lit because it's changing, though. It really is. Yeah. And, like, and it's changing because of people like you. Yeah, it really is. You. I'm so... Uh, I'm so inspired and proud of you. Thank I'm you. just so shining, shining, I'm just shining. like, yo, Hakeem, who the... I would have oh, never known winning. that you had experienced any of those things. Mm-hmm. And just to see that you've you've done this, you've, you've turned it. into this man that you are today. It's like, I'm so... you you. I it's really a, I feel like it's a call to action for all of us to be better, yeah. to take better care of ourselves. So thank you. I needed to hear this because my ass... Been sad, <laughs> child, and I've been just running. I'll be like, "Into that? How's your heart?" She'll be like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." Fuck all that. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. We got a deadline. Um, <laughs> but anyway, right. All right, Hakeem, we're gonna wrap this up. Yo, you want to spit these or not? Okay, I could do it. <clears throat> I don't know if you listen or not, but we have our rapid fire questions. Oh shit! Here we go. <laughs> so you are allowed to um, only have you only have one answer. You cannot give any explanation, no rhyme or reason. You just have to say what your answer is, and it's an either or. You have three seconds to answer. Oh, that's the first time she said that. So we just interviewed somebody, and it took 17 hours to answer my (laughs) question. Ain't nobody got time for that. Okay. That is not very tender. Allow him the space. (laughs) Okay, ready? Yes. Malcolm or Martin? Malcolm. Generational wealth or happiness? Generational wealth or familial happiness? Bitch, do you want to do it? I just that's they're not right written, familiar. But that's not right. We'll write it. Oh shit! We fight it. What is the question? Generational wealth or familial happiness? The fuck, familial happiness. Jay or Nas? Jay. Mac or Sephora? <laughs> Sephora. Palestine or Israel? Palestine. <laughs> in the light or in the dark? Mm. In the dark. Prince or Michael? Prince. Sweet or savory? Savory. Marriage or long-term commitment? Long-term commitment. Trader Joe's or Whole Foods? Mm. He had to pause on that one, but not on the phone. Whole Foods. <laughs> Family or career? Family. A seat at the table or lemonade? A seat at the table. Education or create... What the fuck? <laughs> Evolution or creationism? You want me to finish from here? Shut up. <laughs> Evolution. Nikki or Cardi? Cardi. Protection or... Oh, <laughs> never mind. That's for a woman. Oh, um, <laughs> oh, that's in there like three times. Oh, is it Uchi Wally Wally or is it one mic? Uchi Wally Wally. 
<laughs> Bye. Uh, <Right. laughs> Love Jones or Jason's lyric? Love Jones. Yes. Sir or Rumi? Oh, I want that one. What the fuck? I love that one. Ruby. Make your man a plate or get his own. Get his own. <laughs> Knuck if you buck or any up. <laughs> Knuck if you buck. Uh, 9-11, inside job or terrorist attack? Inside job. <laughs> Rihanna or Beyonce? Oh, y'all really are fucking with me right now. <laughs> Beyonce. Biggie or Pac? Biggie. The philosophy of Killmonger or the Black Panther? The, mm, I'm going to go with Killmonger. Ooh, money and dicks or love and light? Money and dicks. <laughs> <laughs> I can't, how can people keep up with you and your incredible work? Um... He just talked about all the. Oh, well, online, like, right? I know, and it says, duality is a thing, baby. Right. Duality is a thing. Yeah. I'm on the interwebs. I have a website that's coming that's being worked on because I have a lot of things rolling out. Um, But Instagram. What's the URL for the website? What will it be? Um, Keem has the dream. Yeah, .com, actually. I already have it. Um, My Instagram is. Keem has the dream. My Facebook is Keem has the dream. My Twitter is Keem has the dream. On Instagram is the link to the Suffering Black Millennial, which people can go to and read and subscribe. I'll be rolling What is the Suffering Black Millennial? The Suffering Black Millennial um, is my online public diary yes. to talk about all of this shit we were talking about. Yeah. Like so my, that's where the writings are posted. Where the writings where are posted, different yeah. chapters. So I talk about my suffering. <laughs> And coming out of that shit, and I post great photos and all that stuff. <laughs> so holla at me. Um, book me, you know I mean? I can do workshops, yes. coaching, book. education, all kind yeah. of stuff. So that's why I need a website. I just, I'm weird about be like being out there in a way, but it's time. Oh, you're about to so get out there. It's time. Ain't yeah. And I'm trying to collect these coins while we heal. Because money Coins heal me. <laughs> <laughs> because money Indeed. Money indeed. <laughs> I hate y'all. And we out. All right, and with that, we out. We out. That was great. You have just heard an around the way curls, John. Follow them on Twitter at ATW Curls and Instagram at Around Away Curls. We out early. <laughs> Very good. used to be jealous of him and I follow.